You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. BioWatch Info Exposed. Patched vulnerabilities are weaponized in the wild. Romance and other scam indictments name 80 defendants. Crypto mining and data exposure. Social engineering with a sheen of multi-factor authentication. Suing the boo-birds and the people who let them in. The road to happiness is paved with mutually exclusive good intentions. And alleged identity theft from low Earth orbit. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, August 28, 2019. It's good to be back. The Los Angeles Times reports that data concerning the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's BioWatch program were exposed for over a decade on a contractor's unsecured server. The data included some sensor locations, list of bioagents that could be detected, and some contingency plans. The vulnerable site has been shuttered and the data moved behind a DHS firewall. None of the data reported to have been vulnerable to hackers seems to have been highly sensitive, although, of course, no responsible agency wants such information gurgling around out there on the Internet. DHS doesn't know and is unlikely to ever know whether any unauthorized parties accessed the information. According to ZDNet and others, Attackers are weaponizing vulnerabilities in WebMin servers, PulseSecure, and Fortinet VPNs. Users are urged to patch. Security Week reports that the U.S. Department of Justice unsealed an indictment, naming some 80 defendants in a range of online frauds ranging from business email compromise to romance scams. The two lead defendants and several co-conspirators are Nigerian nationals. Internet UA says the crypto mining rig Ukraine's SBU dismantled at the South Ukraine nuclear power station apparently exposed data about the plant's physical security. Such data are sensitive, and in Ukraine they are considered state secrets. Phishing attempts are mimicking multi-factor authentication login screens, Naked Security says. They aren't really multi-factor authentication screens, of course. They're simply malicious links. But the appearance is more convincing than what's usually been seen in earlier attempts. Sophos advises avoiding email links, being aware of domain names, and foregoing any shortcuts to determining whether accounts are being misused by some third party. Mike Weber is vice president at Coalfire Labs, and we caught up to discuss the most recent release of their annual penetration risk report. But first, he shared some of the trends he was tracking at this year's Black Hat conference. 
I would say that most uh, organizations, they know what they need to, what they want to expect, but they don't want to get stuck doing what others have done. So hmm. one of the things that we've seen in faults uh, of uh, organizations with solutions in the cloud uh, are different. The ch- that What we're finding in vulnerabilities uh, through our penetration testing, they're changing a bit. So when we look at what we saw over, you know, in past years, 2016, 2017, we're finding, you know, the traditional vulnerabilities across enterprises and software. Uh, there are soft, uh, you know, weak security mechanisms on the inside of a company. Perimeters are reasonably robust and application uh, issues are your traditional OWASP top 10. Now that we see these companies going to the cloud, we're finding more of the misconfiguration vulnerability as the top of the heap. Organizations that are trying to deploy a cloud solution they're trying to be, you know, cloud provider agnostic. So if they want to move from Amazon S3 over to Azure Blob or whatever they want to do, you know, they want to make it so that it's very flexible in that solution so that they can change if they, you know, so they're not completely tied to a provider. I get it. It's a great business reason. However, uh, in building those and deploying them, sometimes you're not leveraging the security controls that are inherent in some of these services or in the suite of services you can get from a single provider based on whether or not understanding that it isn't available or there isn't an equivalent or the equivalent is something different and has a different nomenclature. And it can get very confusing uh, when developing these solutions for the cloud, particularly when using hybrid clouds or mixed uh, providers. We saw that reflected in our penetration risk report. Well, let's dig in a bit and talk about uh, your Coal Fire Labs penetration risk report. What are some of the key findings? What, what did you discover by uh, putting the data together? Well, last year we found we found this sweet spot. Um, we thought that what we we're going to see is we we're going to see uh, you know from a company size perspective, you know, large companies, lots of money; small companies, no money; medium sized companies, you know, growing or whatever. We found that uh, the medium sized companies were in this sweet spot. They were more secure. By the way, we define secure uh, through the collection of the data that mid-sized companies were more secure than their large or small uh, brethren. This hmm. year, when we looked at it, it's kind of it's sort of flipped on its head. So uh, this year, we found that these large companies have improved significantly within our data set. So large companies end up being in the sweet spot for this year. But what's interesting is when you look at our data set. Our data set has so many more cloud providers, software as a service solutions, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, you name it, large companies. Um, you know, our data set does collect information from the largest cloud providers in the world and also very, you know, niche small companies uh, that are uh, putting their solutions in the cloud as well. But when you look at the type of business and how that demographic information has changed. Uh, It also changes the type of work we're doing. So we're doing more work for these cloud providers, which are generally the larger companies, uh, which has changed basically the security posture that we've identified. Um, When you remove them, we're similar to uh, that sweet spot uh, leaning towards the middle. But because everything's going to the cloud, I think this is going to be a change that not only our business is going to see every uh, a security assessing assessment company uh, is going to see as well. Um, and we need to adapt, you know, as a company, we need to adapt to these changes and uh, our clientele have to adapt, have to ensure that they're positioning themselves for this, uh, this future world that is very uh, cloud centric. Based on the information that you gathered here that you're assembling for this report, what are your recommendations going forward? For organizations that are moving to the cloud, not to disregard the complexities of these cloud organizations. As an example, within our top vulnerabilities uh, last year, I think security misconfigurations didn't even make the top five. Uh, This year, it's number two. 
Hmm. Um, so understanding how that defense in depth has to be deployed across a cloud model. Also looking at solutions from a threat model perspective. Uh, classical threat modeling on applications applied to uh, solution architecture early in the development lifecycle uh, is key to getting a, a good understanding of you know, the significance of uh, some of the controls uh, that are built into these cloud platforms, uh, as well as what needs to be built into the application or solution uh, to be able to augment it. That's Mike Weber from Coalfire Labs. You can find their penetration risk report on their website. Crown Sterling is suing Informa subsidiary UBM, the well-known trade show impresario whose offerings include Black Hat. Crown Sterling, an emerging security company that's emerging into the marketplace from Newport Beach, California, alleges breach of contract. It's over the poor reception its presentation received at Black Hat. The Boo Birds were out in force. The presentation that was poorly received, discovery of quasi-prime numbers, what does this mean for encryption, was based on a paper, Accurate and Infinite Prime Prediction from Novel Quasi-Prime Analytical Methodology, by Crown Sterling CEO Robert E. Grant and Crown Sterling physicist and data science consultant Talal Ganam. Crown Sterling says it stands by its presentation. Ars Technica quotes Grant as saying, quote, Crown Sterling has announced a legitimate multidimensional encryption technology that challenges the paradigm of today's encryption framework. We understand that the discovery completely transforms the way we secure data and that some members of the security industry are resistant to change or accepting of new technologies that do not conform to traditional approaches. We completely stand behind all content presented at Black Hat 2019, and we look forward to presenting further developments about the company and our quantum AI encryption technology. Quote. In a press release announcing their lawsuit, Crown Sterling's chief operating officer, Joseph Hopkins, said that, quote, We were assured by Black Hat and its public code of conduct that our presence would be treated openly and fairly. That did not happen. End quote. The critics call the method Crown Sterling presented snake oil. Their vigorous assertion of that view prompted the lawsuit. In addition to naming UBM in their suit, Crown Sterling is also going after 10 does, as in John Doe, a person unknown or at least not named from among the Boo Birds. In fairness to Crown Sterling, we note that some of the Boo Birds were feisty enough to warrant ejection from the conference room. In fairness to the Boo Birds, a mathematician published a proposed refutation of Crown Sterling's results last month. BuzzFeed reports that Facebook has yet to deliver data it promised academic researchers to support studies into the effect of social media on democratic institutions and processes. The problem, according to BuzzFeed, is that Facebook has reneged on its offer and that it's citing privacy concerns that by implication are convenient and arguably bogus. It's for research, after all, and research in the service of democracy. Alex Stamos, now of Stanford University and formerly Facebook's lead security executive, has come out swinging on behalf of his former company. He's engaged various news outlets, including Gizmodo, BuzzFeed, and The New York Times, with tweets about their reporting of the Cambridge Analytica scandal and other privacy matters. If you want to understand why academic research is being inhibited, he suggests, look in the mirror, reporters. It would be easy to dismiss this as a vaguely Nixonian attack on dishonest journalism, by which the complainer means journalism I dislike because it makes me look bad, but actually Stamos has a point. Of course, Facebook is skittish about sharing data with academics when such data might involve the company in privacy violations. 
The company isn't enough hot water over its data handling. But it's one thing to raise outrage over data handling, and quite another to complain that data aren't being shared freely enough. Inconsistent preferences are never a good thing. The road to unhappiness is paved with mutually exclusive good intentions. NASA's Inspector General is conducting an inquiry into what may turn out to be the first known case of crime committed from space. The New York Times reported Friday that astronaut Anne McLean told investigators that she accessed her estranged wife's bank account during a six-month tour aboard the International Space Station. She denied moving any money from the account and is quoted in heavy as saying she simply checked the account to monitor the couple's finances, as she has done throughout their time together. The astronaut's spouse, Summer Worden, filed a complaint with the U.S. Federal Trade Commission alleging that McLean had committed identity theft. Miss Worden said that she didn't detect any theft from the account. Worden's parents independently complained to NASA's Inspector General, alleging that Ms. McLean had improperly gained access to private financial records in the course of the divorce and attendant child custody fight. So, perhaps we see something new under the sun, an allegation of identity theft committed from low Earth orbit. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Craig Williams. He's the head of Talos Outreach at Cisco Craig, it's always great to have you back. Um, 
You and your team have been tracking uh, some rats and some stealers uh, using something that you're referring to as Heaven's Gate. Uh, there's a lot going on here, so can you sort of give us an overview? What are we tracking here? Let's look at why this exists first. And, you know, what's the problem with malware? What are the challenges that malware authors face? Well, detection. Antivirus systems, systems like Anth have gotten really good at detecting malware, and so it's basically a cat and mouse game between the good guys and the bad guys. And this is a, basically a new loader that's doing some cool stuff that we wanted to make sure people were aware of. And the reason it's called Heaven's Gate is an old technique that basically allows 32-bit malware running on a 64-bit system to hide the API calls by switching to a 64-bit environment. Hmm. So it's, it's a really weird technique. It works. It's well-known. And so when you combine that with some of the very sophisticated packing techniques in this malware, you can load known malware samples and have them pretty much go undetected through a lot of security systems. Uh, the things we're seeing it used with right now are really crypto mining and you know malware families like Rimcos. So it's it's pretty common. It's pretty effective. And so that's why we wanted to make sure that we documented it so that you know everyone can be aware of how it works. Our competitors can notice the blog and can fix their detection because at the end of the day, you know, that's what Talos is really out to do, right? We want to wreck malware's ability to operate. We want to stop their ability to do business. And if we have to help our competitors do that, we absolutely will. And so where are we when it comes to being able to detect this? Oh, naturally, we're, we're great. Um, I, I mean the royal we, not, not, yeah. not the Cisco we. <laughs> it, it depends on where you are uh, when you see it, right? So if you're flying by a wire, like, a, say, a firepower appliance or a network intrusion prevention system, this is going to be a tricky one, right, because it's packed. But there are certain things you can look for, right? Uh, if you're looking at the way you know, a P executable is built, you can look for certain things that maybe shouldn't be there, right? Uh, and if you have it on the end host, well, there's definitely a lot of stuff you can do to look at uh, because normal software is not written like this, mm. right? Normal software doesn't have all this crazy looping and jumping around. It's really only found in malware that wants to be evasive and particularly the Heaven's Gate technique. It's, is this the sort of thing that we're seeing more and more of? This, this um, I mean, you described it as, as sort of an odd... Uh, way to do something. This, you know, using running 32-bit code and switching to 64-bit mode. Um, you know, these are are the the folks out there by necessity getting more and more clever. Yes, I mean that's really what it is. You know, if you have to think about it linearly, I think the best way to think about it is a malware author wants to do X, right? So the malware author designs malware to do X. Well, then the AV company has to stop that because they notice it and it's a risk to their clients. And so the AV company then designs protection around whatever technique that is. Well, then the malware author's technique is no longer effective. And so then he has to evolve his technique in a way that bypasses whatever the AV companies are looking at. And so it's really just a, a game of cat and mouse until someone builds the best mouse, mouse trap. Uh, and you'll even notice in the in the blog, uh, there's a list of types of antivirus file names that it's looking for, and it's not even looking for it in a linear way. It's doing it all over the code base, so it's much harder to see. That's interesting. So even the sort of the basics, I guess what you would consider bread and butter parts of the functionality of this malware, uh, they're being clever with to make it harder to find. Right. And what happens is when it does hit that particular check, if it does find that antivirus file, it will terminate. And it won't execute uh -huh. you further. I see. And so, so you, you, you can imagine if you're running this in a sandbox, it's problematic. Or if you're trying to automate analysis, it's problematic uh, because they're checking for those types of tools. Yeah, interesting. 
All right, well, uh, the blog post is titled Rats and Steelers Rush Through Heaven's Gate with New Loader. Uh, that is on the Talos Intelligence blog. Craig Williams, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Vaughn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.